If I told you that Elsa, Disney's ice princess from the film Frozen, and Liam Gallagher, the boozy, chain-smoking rock and roll frontman from Oasis, were kindred spirits, I wonder what you think. Well, I'm telling you, it's true. Let me give you some evidence. Elsa sings this in the film Frozen. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And then Liam Gallagher sang back in 1996 in the song Whatever. I'm free to be whatever I choose and I'll sing the blues if I want. I'm free to say whatever I like. If it's wrong or right, it's all right. Whatever you do, whatever you say, I know it's all right. Now, Elsa and Liam Gallagher actually are very different people. In fact, Elsa's not even a person. She's a cartoon character. But essentially, they are singing the same message in those two songs. They're basically saying that freedom is a place where there are no rules, there's no right, no wrong, there's nothing to obey, there's nothing to worry about, and that is what we should be striving for. And it fits very much in with the kind of move of humanity in the late 20th and early 21st centuries towards freedom. We are obsessed with freedom. We are obsessed with the freedom to sleep with whoever we want, whenever we want. We're obsessed with the freedom to marry whoever we want, no matter what their gender and no matter what their sexuality. We're, we're, we're obsessed with the freedom to choose our own gender. We can be male, female, or neither, and we have the freedom to choose. And we want, of course, free speech, that ability to say what we want. It's a free world out there. And as Christians, actually, we love to talk about freedom too. Jesus came to proclaim freedom to the captives, the Bible says. His death and his resurrection, we believe as Christians, bring freedom from the power of sin and death. And the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We even named ourselves Freedom Church Liverpool because we love this idea of freedom. And yet, as Christians, somehow over the years, we have become known as the anti-freedom brigade. To many people in society, religion and freedom just do not mix. Christianity and other religions are just seen as these religions of rules and regulation. The Bible is seen as being full of this language of law, commandment, restriction. Even Jesus, even when he came and set people free, he still talked about honouring the law, honouring the commandments. And he gave careful instructions for people to live lives that would honour his Father in heaven. Christianity, for many people, is just seen as this killjoy religion in a world that just wants to be free. The Bible uses words that society just shudders to hear. It reminds me of a West Wing moment. I love the West Wing, it's one of my favorite TV series. And in one of the later series, you've got two presidential candidates, Santos, the uh, Democratic, and Vinick, the Republican, having a debate. And during the debate, Vinick calls Santos a liberal. And Santos reacts with a passionate defense of liberalism. He lists things that have happened through history which were achieved by liberals. And he says this, when you tried to hurl that label at my feet, liberal, as if it was something to be ashamed of, something dirty, something to run away from. It won't work, Senator, because I will pick up that label and I will wear it as a badge of honor. We're just embarking on a little mini preaching series here where we wanna do 
similar to what Santos does there. We want to pick up some words which have been thrown at the feet of Christians as if they're dirty words. We want to pick them up, we want to dust them off and say, guys, these are words which we should be, uh, we should be loving. These are words which we should be cherishing as Christians, even though society sees them as dirty. And the words we're going to be looking at are obedience, submission and discipline. In a world of freedom, these are dirty words. But as Christians, we want to we explore how these are exciting, freeing words that are teeming with life to cherish and not be ashamed of. We want to show how obedience, submission and discipline are actually keys to fulfillment and satisfaction, not things that kill our joy. And so today, we're going to start with obedience. You see, for Christians, obedience is a key biblical principle. It's found throughout both the Old and the New Testament and it basically means to listen to someone, to sit under their authority and then actively do something about it as a result. In the Bible it is seen as a positive and desirable thing. We are encouraged biblically to be obedient to all sorts of people, to our parents, to our employers and masters, the Bible talks a lot about slavery of course, the government, teachers, even husbands, but most of all the Bible talks about our call to be obedient to God. In fact, that is what trumps every other bit of obedience. Where we're asked to be obedient to someone else who is in turn being disobedient to God, we are told to be obedient to God. That's Acts 5, 29. Obedience is something that God richly values and he wants us to show towards him. And the Bible's not alone in that. Most religions require obedience to some sort of set of laws or practices or disciplines. But we can easily see why people start to feel negative about obedience because it's portrayed as something we have to do in order to gain favor. Something that carries a consequence if it's not done. It can feel restrictive and transactional. And mostly people see obedience as something which forbids the things that they wanna do most. It can restrict how we spend our money, who we wanna have sex with, what we consume, how we prioritize our time, the level of commitment we show to things. God, in asking for our obedience, has something to say about all of these things. And so for many people, people see obedience as something that just puts things off limits that they really wanna do. And therefore, many people will look at Christianity and decide, you know what, I'm gonna go somewhere else for my spiritual fulfillment, somewhere where I think I can do more of the things that I wanna do. I wanna go somewhere less rulesy. Well, today, I want to really make a case for obedience. And I want to suggest three reasons why this O word, this dirty word, doesn't need to be a dirty word in 21st century UK. Why a lifestyle of obedience to God is something that can be cherished and enjoyed rather than endured. And the first reason is this, that obedience is a response and not an entry requirement. Recently, Prince Philip died. And he lived a remarkable life, whatever you may think of him. He had a pretty incredible life. And one of the most remarkable things is this. He is the only man in the world who the queen willingly subjected herself to. At their wedding in 1947, the queen who was then princess was the heir to the throne. And yet she stood in front of the watching world and made a vow to Prince Philip that she would love, cherish and obey him and Philip promised to love and cherish her. In subsequent royal weddings, Charles and Diana, Kate and William, 
The wives did not promise to obey their husbands, even though they knew their husbands would one day become the king of England. And yet the queen, Princess Elizabeth, who knew she would go on to be the queen, told her husband, I will obey you. Now these days, very few wives actually promise to obey their husbands in their wedding vows anymore. Gradually it's been phased out because I think people only really half understand what it means. The promise to be obedient to, of a wife to a husband has its, its, its start in, in, in Paul's words in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says this in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in their everything to their husbands. People read that nowadays and think, no, thank you. Women understandably don't want to be submissive and obedient to their husbands because men, let's face it, so often we have let our women down in society. But if we stop reading that passage there, we only get half the picture. Because the very next verse, verse 25 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. This is so important. A wife would vow obedience to her husband, but that obedience was a response to the expectation that the husband would vow to serve her so lovingly and so passionately that he would be willing to give up his life for her. The marriage of a woman to a man replicates the marriage of Christ to his church, which is only possible because Jesus sacrificially gave himself up to die for his church. Obedience is a response, not a prerequisite. Queen Elizabeth was not required to be obedient to Philip in order to qualify to marry him. Rather, she promised to obey him, knowing that he was willing to die for her. We need to get this, guys. Obedience is our response, not our qualification. We don't get saved as Christians by our ability to obey God. If heaven depended on rule keeping, then Jesus would be the only person there. He's the only one who has ever lived a sinless life. Jesus himself is the bedrock of our salvation, not our obedience. Our faith in him saves us by grace. And our obedience is therefore a response of gratitude to that. In the Old Testament, God makes a whole heap of promises to Abraham and he then rescues Israel from slavery before he gave them any sort of commandments or laws to obey. He loved and chose to bless Israel before they had anything to be obedient to. He had already promised in Genesis 12 to make Israel a great nation, to to make Abraham the father of many nations way before any commandments and law came. He dramatically rescued his beloved Israel from enslavement in Egypt. He won a stunning victory over the most powerful nation on earth at that time before they had any laws to obey. He demonstrated his grace and his power and his love and his salvation to Israel without them having demonstrated any particular obedience to him. The law didn't even exist for them to obey. And then the law after that exodus from Egypt was given to the Israelites to help them to live healthy, fulfilled and blessed lives. 
to help them put God first and enjoy a relationship with him, which we'll come on to. The law covers everything from worship rituals to relationships to economic rules to disease treatment to crime and punishment. And it's not designed to control and restrict and spoil the lives of the people, but to provide a safe, healthy, peaceful way of life in a loving relationship with a God who loves his people and who already demonstrated the lengths he was willing to go to for his people. And God wanted other nations to see, look at this relationship. Look at how much I love my people. Look at how we exist in harmony because they obey me and the blessing that they receive as a result. He wanted other nations to see that and say, wow, we want to know this God too. Ultimately though, the Israelites and humans in history have proved utterly incapable of obeying God's law fully. And so in the New Testament, we see God acting again. He fulfills the promise that he'd made to Abraham, not just to bless Israel, but to bless all nations through his saviour, his son, Jesus. In Romans 5, the Apostle, Apostle Paul writes this, For at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God proves his love for us in this while we were still sinners, while we were still disobedient, Christ died for us. Jesus died to offer a way to salvation for everyone, not because we'd done a great job of being obedient. Jesus died because we couldn't and would not obey. He died for sinners. He endured the cross for his enemies, for those who couldn't keep the law. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. He lived a perfect sinless life. And we are saved by trusting that his death has paid the penalty for our disobedience, for our rebellion against God. And his resurrection has comprehensively defeated death and the consequences of our sin. Jesus' work on the cross is the only basis for our salvation. Obedience comes after that. Obedience is our grateful, humble, worthy response to someone doing something incredible for us. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my, you will keep my commandments. Do you know what? We can't repay Jesus for what he's done for us, but we can show our love and our gratitude by living lives as obediently as we can to his commands. We don't need to be obedient to qualify for salvation. Our obedience is a response. Now look, a health warning here, being obedient to God will mean that things need to change in our lives. It's not possible to truly turn to God and to continue living our lives as if we hadn't. Things have to change. When we talk about repentance, that is a turning away, a turning around from what we were doing before. We need to leave behind the things that we've done and start living in obedience to God, but only after he has saved us. Only after he has done that work in our lives, it will, we will see our lives transformed, but that transformation isn't what saves us. It's a response to being saved. It's a loving response. A response that says, God, thank you so much. I love you and I want to live for you. He saves us first and then transformation can begin. So obedience, first of all, it's not a dirty word because it doesn't qualify us. It's our response. It's not a prerequisite. It's a, it's a response to God. The second thing I want to say is this, 
Obedience is a key to living in God's blessing. Every day at about four o'clock, an ice cream van comes up my street and my kids bounce up and they beg us, they beg us to let us get them something. And nine times out of 10, to be honest, we say no. And it causes great disappointment and frustration. But deep down, my kids understand why. They know that actually if they had ice cream every day, it wouldn't be good for their bodies. It wouldn't be good for our bank balance. And it would stop really being such a treat. The enjoyment that they have of that ice cream on the one out of 10 times that they say yes is utterly magnified by the denial that they've had the other nine times. And so when they get that ice cream, they absolutely treasure every lick, every slurp, every chomp of the ice cream cone. Now, my kids know where I leave my wallet. They know I have a credit card in my wallet and they know the ice cream van has a card machine and there's nothing to stop them from pinching my card and going out into the street and buying an ice cream for themselves. But they also know that if they were to disobey Debbie and my um, wishes and if they were to buy ice cream without our permission, then the damage done to our relationship would far outweigh any enjoyment of the ice cream. Deep down, they trust and they know that me and Debbie as parents have their best intentions at heart. And there are good reasons behind the rules that we put in place. The result of breaking those rules will far outweigh the joy of getting what they wanted. Now look, ice cream is a silly example, but hopefully you get the picture that obedience to God's boundaries helps us to live in a spiritually healthy and blessed life in a good relationship with a father who just wants our best. So many people hear obedience and just think restriction, but the Bible paints a different picture. The Bible tells us that obedience equals blessing, that life will be better for us when we live obediently rather than doing whatever we want to do. The Bible states this on so many occasions that obedience is linked to blessing. Just listen to a few examples. Leviticus 26. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, God says, so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. You will thus eat your food and live securely in your land. In Deuteronomy 28, it says this, Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, this is Moses speaking, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey your Lord. Isaiah, the prophet, speaking in Isaiah 48, if only you had paid attention to my commandments, then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If only the Israelites had obeyed, things would have been all right. Psalm 119 says this, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. That's just a small selection of verses that just tell us that obedience brings blessing, that disobedience takes blessing away. Now, this is not about, we have to be careful, it's not about financial prosperity. The Bible doesn't ever promise us wealth if we obey God. It's not a, it's not a done deal. For many people, actually, if you look around the world, the Christian life involves hardship. It can involve persecution. It can involve poverty. It can be about cost rather than comfort. And yet scripture clearly says, obedience brings blessing. 
So what is it? What does it mean? Well, I really believe it's about relationship. Obedience to God means we get to enjoy the fruit and the blessing of living in a healthy relationship with our Heavenly Father, with our steps being guided and assisted by Him. And Jesus provides the supreme example of this. We've already talked about how he laid down his life for the sinners, for the church. And in Philippians, it says that Jesus was obedient to the point of death. And the result of that obedience, it says, is that God exalts him to the highest place and gives him the name above all other names. God loves the obedience that Jesus shows to him and he blesses it. And it's the same with us. When we are obedient like Jesus, he blesses us. He's faithful even when the odds seem stacked against it. Living in obedience means enjoying God's fatherhood with him providing everything we need, not necessarily everything we want, but everything we need for the lives that we face. Remember, God's promise to Abraham started with a simple instruction. Go, leave where you live. He didn't know where he was going, but he obeyed and then God dealt with him with incredible grace and favour and blessing throughout the days of his life. The pattern we see throughout the Old Testament with Israel is that when they are in step with God, when they are worshiping him, when they're putting him first, they enjoy peace and prosperity and safety. And yet when they turn away from God, when they follow other idols, other gods, when they live in sin, they endure defeat and famine and even exile from the land that God had given them. Obedience to God was never supposed to be a burden but a blessing. 1 John 5.3 says, God's commandments are not burdensome. We see another example in the New Testament. We see the prodigal son, the parable that Jesus tells, where this son decides that living obediently in his father's household isn't what he wants. He wants his inheritance and he wants to go and live a life of glamour, of, of sex, of drugs and rock and roll. And he lives this debauched life. He spends all his money and he suddenly finds that this freewheeling life of pleasure has ended in ruin and depression. He's eaten with the pigs in the pigsty. And he learns that life without obedience and rules just doesn't satisfy. And he returns with his tail between his legs, expecting to be rejected. And yet he is welcomed back by his gracious father. And he can once again become part of the household and become part of enjoying the security and the blessing of a relationship with his father who loves and provides. And yes, there are restrictions and rules and yet there is blessing and security and love. God loves it when we obey him and he has a habit of honoring our obedience with provision as well. I've seen it time and time again, I've seen it in my own life when we moved to Liverpool from Leeds to, to come and help plant Freedom Church, God provided in response to our obedience saying, yes, we're willing to go, God provided everything we needed for the journey, jobs, schools, houses, everything we need. We've seen it recently in our church with Laura and Joshua on their way to move to Wales to go obediently to listen to God, to plant a church at some point in a country they've not lived in before, in a language they can't speak. They've said, yes, God, we are up for this, but we don't know how we're going to get there. We don't have anything in place. And God has provided them house, job, school for the kids. It's all lined up for them. When God sees us obey, there's blessing, there's provision. He gives us what we need. Guys, living obediently within the limits that God has set for us and obeying his commands out of gratitude for what he's done for us leads to blessing, leads to harmonious relationship with our wonderful God, the Father who provides for us. That is another reason why obedience isn't a dirty word. It's a blessed word. And finally, my final point is that obedience is wind assisted. 
What do I mean by that? Well, I don't know if you've ever seen the Olympics. I love watching the long jumpers. They jump these incredible superhuman existences, uh, uh, distances. But occasionally, someone they jump so far, you're like, wow, that has got to be a world record. That's massive. And then you see it come up on the screen, wind assisted. There was a bit of a strong wind behind them. It blew them even further, and it, the world record doesn't count. Now, for an athlete, wind assistance, therefore, isn't always good news. But for Christians, wind assistance is excellent news. What am I talking about? Well, listen, we believe God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. God is three in one. And the Holy Spirit was promised to us and sent to everyone who believes in Jesus. He's a person. He is the very power and presence of Jesus himself, alive in the heart of all believers. And in scripture, the words that we use for, for, for Holy Spirit, in Hebrew, it's ruach. In, in Greek, it's pneuma. Both of those words in their original language can translate as breath or wind. The Bible promises that when it comes to obedience, the Holy Spirit is our wind assistance. In the book of Ezekiel, the prophet, there's a prophecy that he makes. He's, he's prophesying to the Israelites who at this time have turned away from God. They're exiled in Babylon. And yet this passage full of hope comes. God is making a promise that he's going to bring them back to the land. And he says this in, uh, in chapter uh, 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give your heart of flesh. And listen to this. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I'll put my spirit in you and help you to follow my decrees and careful, be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel's words are echoed then by Jesus in John 14. Remember you had that challenge before, if you love me, keep my commands. Well, that's a big challenge. It's hard to keep all those commands. Surely we're gonna let him down, but then he goes on in verse 23. And he says this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And he will we will come to him and make our home with him. And then he says this, verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Later on in the book of Galatians, Paul tells the believers, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God wants us to live obediently. He, he tells us that we'll be most blessed if we live obediently, but he knows that living obediently is very, very hard for us. And so he gives us his Holy Spirit, his very presence to help us. Ezekiel tells us that the Spirit will help us to follow God's decrees. Jesus tells us that the Spirit will teach us and remind us of everything he said. And Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit will help us to ward off sinful, disobedient desires. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't control us. We still have free will. We can still choose to sin. But the Holy Spirit in the life of believers is a constant presence, helping us to discern, helping us to know whether what we are doing is obedient or not. It's almost like in the modern car when you're driving on the motorway, some of these cars have these lane warning systems where if you start to drift into the wrong lane, something beeps and says, no, come on, get back in the lane. The Holy Spirit almost acts like that for us. Sometimes it's a really subtle, gentle whisper. Sometimes it's more obvious, but we know when it's happening. There's been times where I've just had this sudden sense of conviction, a realization that what I'm doing or what I'm saying isn't right. 
Sometimes it's like a mental alarm bell or a lack of peace. Sometimes it's even a bodily response, a deep sense of discomfort that can come out in shakes or sweats or whatever. When I just realize that the Holy Spirit is saying, no, Chris, stop. You can't do this. You need to turn back. Spirit can interact with us in all sorts of different ways, but this wind assistance is crucial to our living obediently. And it's a beautiful, beautiful gift that God gives us. It's so good of him. He doesn't just give us a list of commands and rules and leave us to figure it out. He gives us his Holy Spirit wind assistance as a constant check and guide, not heavy handedly, but as a means of grace to spare us the consequences of possible bad decisions and to make choices that will protect this amazing relationship we have with our God. So there you have it. Three reasons why I think obedience is not a dirty word, but a beautiful thing. It's not our entry requirement. It's our response. It's a key to blessing. And we're given the Holy Spirit to help us live obediently. As we close, I wonder how you're feeling about all this this morning. There's, there's maybe three specific types of uh, response I want to just end, end up speaking to this morning and want to help you this morning. First of all, if you're not a Christian this morning, and if you fear that you could only be a Christian if you kept the rules and regulations, that you could only be saved if you did this, I want you to explore further. I want you to understand and just take away this morning this message that obedience isn't what you have to do to qualify for a relationship with God, but it's something that he will help you with once you commit to him. A Christian life isn't something that's a bar that you just can't attain to and that's going to stop you from ever being saved. It is a blessed and fulfilled life that you will qualify for only through God. And then you will help, you will start to live obediently as a response to that. He, will, he loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to know you and he will help you. Don't be put off. Second thing, we've talked a lot about uh, living in relationship to God and enjoying his fatherhood. And I know for some people you might struggle to receive that this morning. Maybe you've had some difficulties with your own parents. Perhaps your relationship with your parents is broken. Maybe from your end, maybe your own disobedience to your parents has caused a divide and you're struggling to overcome that. Or maybe your experience of, of your mother and father was not a good one. Maybe you've been damaged by that. Maybe it's left you lacking relationally and materially. I want to say this, don't let your earthly experience of parenthood put you off a God experience of parenthood. He is a good, loving, perfect father. He will not let you down. A relationship of obedience to him will always bring satisfaction and joy and peace and comfort. It might not make you rich, it might not even make you well, but you will live in blessing and in harmonious relationship with a father who loves you. Don't, don't judge him by your earthly parent standards. And finally, this morning, if you are a Christian and actually you know that you're living in disobedience in some area, maybe there's an area you know, actually, I'm, not, I'm just not living right. I'm doing something that I know is disobedient to God. Perhaps there's a relationship you're in or a habit that you just can't break. Maybe you're looking at pornography regularly. Maybe you're, you're engaged in gossip or lying or drinking or some other substance that you just know is not honoring God. There's two things you need to know. Number one is this, you're still loved. You're still saved, you're still righteous. God loves you and forgiveness is available. But secondly, you're not gonna enjoy the full benefit and blessing of relationship with God if you continually live disobediently to him. And maybe this morning there's just some Holy Spirit wind assistance kicking in. Maybe he's just lovingly drawing your attention right now. Maybe with some sort of mental or physical response, the Holy Spirit is just gently, powerfully working in you right now, convicting you, letting you know that there's something that needs to be done 
but not condemning you. He's inviting you to repentance. He's inviting you to forgiveness. He's inviting you to restoration to your father. There's maybe a moment right now just to spend some time in repentance and getting right with God and starting to live obediently again. Guys, thank you for joining us this morning. I hope this has helped you and I hope you can make a response this morning as well. God bless.